Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Stay tuned. Today, I will be discussing two case studies of occupational fraud in vendor payments, both which were reported in the news in November, and they cannot be more different. One was by a woman, one was by a man. One where the payments were made by check, the other where the payments were made by ACH. One stole thousands, the other stole millions. One was a government entity, the other was a for-profit entity. After listening, if you like this episode, be sure to like, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode eight, two case studies on occupational fraud and how internal controls could have prevented them. Real quickly first, I do want to say that I have both a blog and a podcast. Both can be found at DeborahRRichardson.com and I publish content for both on a weekly basis and I originally thought that it was going to be hard to find content uh, consistently. However, this week absolutely proves me wrong as all I needed to do was go into the regular news and I was able to find really recent events of occupational fraud that was reported in the news. I'm using two, but actually I did find a third one. And for all my listeners that work for businesses in the Tulsa area, beware of gift card scams. There were two Tulsa area businesses where the fraudsters posed as the manager or owner of the business via email, asked the employees to purchase gift cards as gift Christmas gifts for employees or clients. What they also asked them to do is once they purchase the gift cards is to email them back with a scanned version of the back of the card as confirmation. Well, we know what happens when you give fraudsters the gift card numbers from the back of the gift card. By the time that they figured out what was going on in both cases, the fraudsters had already spent the amount that was on the gift cards. So lesson learned for me, I will always have content. I just need to check the news and that's actually good advice for you too. make sure you check the news in your area. So you're aware of uh, trending scams out there. So you or your employees or your team won't be taken. Okay, so let's get into the two case studies for today's episode. In the intro, I talked about how they were very different. However, they did have two things in common. They were both management employees and they both could have been caught with proper internal controls. Let's look at case study number one. 
This was a news report that came from First Coast News from Jacksonville, Florida, and the title was St. John's Sheriff's Finance Director Jailed After 600000 Plus in False Payments Uncovered. It was originally reported on November 21st, and it was updated on November 29th, so very recent. And according to the article and also the interview of the Sheriff of St. John's, the female finance director perpetrated the fraud between October 2013 and November 7, at least according to their initial investigation, which included writing 63 checks to four fictitious vendors, nine checks where the street address was fictitious, there were some checks that were written to cash, and then there were other checks that were written to pay her mortgage, her car note, and then checks were made out to her family members or names that were similar to her family members. Now, these instances of fraudulent checks shows a complete lack of internal controls in the accounts payable function. From vendor setup to the approval of invoices to how checks are treated once they're printed and also segregation of duties. Now this finance director, she was also over payroll, accounts payable and purchasing. So let's talk about internal controls for the vendor master file and also for check payments that could have prevented this fraud. So the first thing is segregation of duties. Now the article nor the video interview of the sheriff indicates how those vendor records were changed. However, if you have one person on the team, be it the manager or the director or someone even higher up, if they have access or oversight over other functions that could be used to perpetrate fraud, then we need to make sure that there is a segregation of duties. So for example, if that finance director, because she was over the entire accounts payable function, had the ability to add or edit vendors and also had the ability to post and or approve invoices, then there is your segregation of duties issue because she could have set up those four fictitious vendors and also approve the invoices for the payment. Further, once the checks were generated, she should not have been the one to sign the check. So there should have been some type of segregation of duties so that she could not control every step of the vendor payment process. The next internal control is vendor setup. So with vendor setup, you wanna make sure that you are setting up real vendors. So for this one, let's assume that she didn't have access to set up vendors or edit existing vendors. There should be a validation process to ensure that you're setting up real vendors. That is collecting a W-9 and then validating that W-9 legal name and tax ID with IRS records. 
And then if for some reason the legal name and tax ID does not match IRS records, no problem. There are cases where the IRS can take time um, with new businesses or when existing businesses change their names or tax IDs. Um, they take their time updating the IRS records for 10 matching. All you need to do is have the vendor provide a 147C letter from the IRS and they issue that letter to uh, confirm the tax ID and legal name. And that's what you can request from the vendor to verify that they are real. And as long as that 147C letter issued by the IRS matches the W-9, then you can go ahead and set them up. Now you should also perform the additional validations such as OFAC, collect their insurance certificate if it's required, all of which can prove that that vendor is real and not fictitious. Now, there were also checks that were being sent to addresses that did not exist. And as part of the vendor setup, you should be validating those addresses. And that's the next internal control. Now, some accounting systems and definitely the ERPs out there will validate that the address is real within the system, but you should also get support for those addresses. If that address is on the W-9, that is support. If the address, say a remit address, is different from their tax address that's on the W-9, then you need a copy of an invoice or a copy of a contract or something, some document that includes that address. And then if your system does not automatically validate that address, you need to go on USPS.com and validate that address yourself. For non-U.S. vendors, you can go to the Universal Postal Union site to validate foreign addresses. So that is upu.int. Now, if she was the one that set up those fictitious vendors, that means that she had access to set up vendors and that should have triggered an internal control where there is a, an audit report that is generated showing all ads and changes of vendors and someone outside of the accounts payable team should have been reviewing that report to verify that the vendors that are set up are valid. And I say outside of that function because she was the finance director. Now, if she had someone over her that was in finance and that person should check and or the internal or external auditors. And my suggestion is to have that done at least as often as your pay cycles. So if you have weekly pay cycles, that needs to be done every week. If you have bi-weekly or monthly pay cycles, that review needs to be done prior to the pay cycle so you can ensure no fraudulent payments are sent out. The next internal control I want to talk about is related to the addresses on the vendor file and the checks that were issued to go to those addresses. Now, this is another internal control that can be an additional confirmation that the vendor is real. So when these 
checks were issued, what should have happened is even if she had access to sign those checks, those checks should have been put in the mail and they should have been sent to the remit address that was on file for that vendor. That would have caught those fictitious addresses because that mail or those checks would have been returned. So I have seen instances where the physical checks are given to an employee to send out versus them going out of the check room because maybe an employee has to put some supporting documentation so that when the check gets to wherever it's going, they know how to apply it. Or, you know, maybe that documentation is for a license and it has to accompany the check. So I do know those situations or scenarios do exist. But in this age of fraud, my recommendation is that there is an internal control put into place where all generated checks are sent to be mailed directly from the check payment room or directly after being signed. Any supporting documentation can be sent separately and include that check number. Another internal control for addresses is to verify that the vendor addresses in your vendor master file does not match any employee addresses in your payroll file. In this particular case, I don't think that was an issue because it didn't say that she used her personal address. It looks like she used either wrong addresses or addresses of relatives. Okay, so that was the first case study. It was a government entity. It was a female that was a finance director. It was fraudulent checks as the payment method, and it was setting up fictitious vendors. The internal controls that I suggested was segregation of duties so that someone doesn't have the ability to create or approve a vendor, an invoice, and a payment. Validation of new or existing vendors prior to updating your vendor master file to ensure that they are real vendors validating the addresses to ensure that the addresses are real before updating those in your vendor master file. And then lastly, on the check side, to send checks directly to the remit address that is on the vendor master file. Okay, so case study number two. This one was reported by USA Today on November 9th, and the uh, post was titled, or the article was titled, Former Tesla Employee Indicted for Alleged $9.3 million Embezzlement Scheme. So here we have the for-profit entity. The fraudster was a man payments were made by ACH and amount stole totaled in the millions. So this employee was a manager and per the investigation, he impersonated an employee from one of the valid vendors in the vendor master file, submitted documents to update or change the existing bank account information, and had fraudulent payments sent to a bank account that he owned. And according to the article, he rerouted payments that should have gone to the vendor 
directly to him. And that's actually how he got caught because the vendor inquired about missing payments. So this one can be a little tricky. Well, not really, but it can be familiar because I know in my last position, we did have, until we implemented a vendor portal, we did have the employee that had the relationship with the vendor collect the supporting documentation for both new vendor ads and also existing vendor changes. And so we were used to and expected any changes to come from the internal employee. And in this case, the internal employee, this manager that that allegedly perpetrated the fraud, submitted supporting documentation to change the existing bank account to a bank account that he controlled. So there are a couple of internal controls or best practices that could have caught this fraudulent activity prior to a payment going out. So the first one is to require on the document to change existing banking information, require some uh, information that is considered sensitive personal information that not everyone should have access to. For example, for the bank account change, if you have an existing bank account that you're making payments to, that vendor if they're submitting a change, they should know that existing bank account number. So that existing bank account number should be required to be on the form in order to have a new bank account replace it. Both the old bank account and the new bank account should be on the form. Also on the form, you should have some other information that only the vendor would know, such as their tax ID. Now I know if this is the same employee that requested the original documentation from the vendor, they may already have it. But if it's not, you can definitely reduce the potential for fraud by making that information not accessible by employees so they can't look that information up and therefore only the vendor or the original person that submitted the request would have that information. And by the way, the original employee that submitted the request that would have gotten their W-9, that would have gotten their banking information, they really should have destroyed that once it was submitted. But that's the problem with having employees collect that information and then submit it to accounts payable, that that sensitive personal information information could be stored outside of accounts payable and it's just not necessary and could be used in the future for fraudulent purposes. So the next internal control, and actually it's a two-parter. So the first thing is in order to make a change to that vendor record, there's got to be a confirmation that it came from the vendor. That means you use the information that is currently on the vendor file and contact them either by phone or by email to confirm that that change is valid. Now, in this case, had that confirmation been done, that vendor would have said, no, we did not change our bank account. So it would have worked. Then once that 
change has been made, in this case, once the bank account was updated, then an automated email or a manual email, if you don't have that built into your system, should be sent out to that vendor confirming that their bank account was updated on their vendor record. So now you've got two places where you have confirmed that the change came from the vendor. Now the next internal control are for those of you that do pre-notifications or pre-notes or penny tests and that can serve as an account validation. There is also a service that can verify the vendor bank account name matches the vendor bank account that those two are a match. Now, according to the article, the fraud, alleged fraud was perpetrated in 2016 and 2017, which means that there were at least two instances where payments were rerouted. Now, a best practice is that email addresses, when there is an electronic payment for the vendor, should be recorded on the vendor record in the vendor master file. And that remittance email address would have triggered a remittance email directly to the vendor to show that a payment had been issued. And that would have alerted the vendor to contact Tesla had they not received the payment. Now again, if the fraudster was smart and they submitted a change to the remittance email, that should also be included in the confirmation before and after the change to verify that that remit address that you're updating in the vendor master file on the vendor record belongs to the vendor. So that's case study two. It was a for-profit entity perpetrated by a man. The payments were made by ACH and he stole millions and it was done by fraudulently changing existing vendor banking details to a bank account that he owned. So just because these two case studies are so different, I wanted to compare those to the infographic provided by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners and what they report on occupational fraud in business. And I will have a link in the show notes. So one of the metrics here is that median duration of a fraud scheme is 16 months. In the case of the finance director for the St. John's County Sheriff's Department, that fraudulent activity or alleged fraudulent activity was perpetrated between October 2013 through November 7th of 2018, this year. So we do know that she is way above average. However, with the second case study, the employee or manager at Tesla, that period shows that it was between 2016 and 2017. So that could have been a 16 month period. So the next one is real interesting. Uh, The infographic says that losses caused by men 
were 75% larger than losses caused by women. And in these two case studies, that does match because the finance director that was a woman, her fraud totaled 600, at least $600,000, whereas the fraud perpetrated by the man that was a manager at Tesla, those losses or that fraudulent activity totaled 9.3 million. So it was more than 75% larger. What's also interesting is that median losses are far greater when fraudsters collude. So the last one I'm going to review is the asset misappropriation schemes are the most common and least costly. And the definition for asset misappropriation is any scheme that involves a theft or misuse of an organization's asset, which both of these case studies involved. And as normal, review these recommendations with your leadership and or auditing team and make adjustments based on your accounting system or ERP, your company processes and your industry. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the eighth episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links to the articles used for the case study, the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners infographic, and the link to my site where you can find more topics in blogs and podcasts. If you enjoyed these recommendations, consider purchasing my e-guide and online courses for vendor master file training that consists of authentication, validation, and management as part of a three-step vendor setup and maintenance process to protect the vendor master file from fraud and keep it clean. Also, click shop to check out Putting the AP in Happy Accounts Payable Gifts for you, your coworkers, or your team during this holiday season and throughout the year. Thank you and stay happy. Stay happy.